ora and welcome to Requisite Words. I'm Peter Ravlich, and you're listening to a podcast about poetry. Today we explore an early Catch-22 and share a range of sonnets. The sonnet form has remained popular because it lends itself really well to condensing a thesis into 14 lines and exploring, challenging, or underscoring an argument within three quatrains and a final couplet. Within those broad parameters, there are a number of different rhyme schemes, argument structures, content conventions, and metrical choices that chart the evolution of the English-language sonnet from its Italian antecedent in the work of Petrarch. I'd like to explore an eclectic handful of sonnets today beginning with one from the very first sonnet sequence published in English. My many sins in number are increased, by Anne Locke, and published in 1560. My many sins in number are increased, with weight whereof in sea of deep despair, my sinking soul is now so sore oppressed, that now in peril And in present fear I cry, Sustain me, Lord, and Lord, I pray, With endless number of thy mercies take, The endless number of my sins away. So by thy mercy, for thy mercy's sake, Rue on me, Lord, relieve me with thy grace. My sin is cause, that I so need to have thy mercy's aid in my so woeful case. My sin is cause that scarce I dare to crave thy mercy manifold, which only may relieve my soul and take my sins away. Anne Locke published this as the second sonnet in her sequence, a meditation of a penitent sinner upon the 51st Psalm. The sequence was appended to her translation of Calvin's work, and in this particular piece, we see her speaker illustrating a catch-22 within Psalm 51. We might paraphrase the speaker's struggle as, more sins require more grace and mercy for absolution, but more sins make the recipient less deserving of God's grace, and less comfortable asking for it. While the argument of this sonnet is generally linear and consistent with the beginning of the psalm, there is a a hint of theological subversion in the final couplet, specifically around the word onely. Having established already that a one-to-one ratio of sins to mercies are warranted, and also establishing an insoluble problem in the first three quatrains, I need grace, but I don't deserve it. The speaker then makes a distinction between human and godly identity. The penitent may scarcely dare to crave God's mercy for each of their sins, but God's singular, onely, mercy may relieve their soul and take all the sins away anyway. One action by God defeats the endless sin of the individual. This is really consistent with the recentering of God in the Calvinist tradition. Calvin challenged many earlier Christian norms, including the sacrament of individual confession, as mediated by a priest. 
So in this early English language sonnet, we can see how the 14-line structure can be used to unpack and refine an argument while packaging it in a memorable and really resonant form. The following sonnets follow in this tradition, applying the same 14-line structure to a range of subject matter. There are three sonnets I'd like to share, and the first two are by Charlotte Smith, who is credited with both reviving the sonnet form in the 18th century and founding the Romantic movement. The sonnets deal with the limits of perception and ignorance as bliss, respectively, and the contrast of human to natural imagery in both is strikingly reflective of the movement her works would go on to influence. Huge Vapours Brood Above the Clifted Shore by Charlotte Smith Huge vapours brood above the clifted shore Night o'er the ocean settles dark and mute Save where is heard the repercussive roar of drowsy billows On the rugged foot of rocks remote Or still more distant tone of seamen in the anchored bark that tell the watch relieved, or one deep voice alone, singing the hour and bidding, strike the bell. All is black shadow but the lucid line, marked by the light surf on the level sand, or where afar the ship lights faintly shine, like wandering fairy fires that oft on land mislead the pilgrim, such the dubious ray that wavering reason lends in life's long darkling way. On being cautioned against walking on an headland overlooking the sea, because it was frequented by a lunatic. Is there a solitary wretch who hies to the tall cliff with starting pace, or slow, and measuring views, with wild and hollow eyes, its distance from the waves that chide below, who, as the sea-born gale with frequent sighs, chills his cold beard upon the mountain turf, with hoarse, half-uttered lamentation lies, murmuring responses to the dashing surf. In moody sadness, on the giddy brink, I see him more with envy than with fear. He has no nice felicities that shrink from giant horrors, wildly wandering here. He seems, uncursed with reason, not to know the depth or the duration of his woe. And finally, I'd like to share a sonnet that you'll already know, or at least recognize. While the simplicity of the sonnet form renders many works timeless, this one is acutely timely as well, despite being published in 1883. The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, With conquering limbs astride from land to land, Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand A mighty woman with a torch, 
whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbour that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Requisite Words is an Inklings production by Peter Revlich. Opening music is Be Chillin' by Alexander Nakarada. Find out more at inklings.co.nz or follow us on Twitter at Requisite Words.